It's good to be with you this morning. I uh, had the opportunity to go up yesterday, Friday night, and uh, Saturday to be with the men up at Subtle Lake, and it was a very blessed time that we had, uh, great times of worship, uh, uh, great times of uh, study of God's Word, great times of eating delicious food, and some fun, uh, fun as well on top of all of that. Actually, yesterday, uh, Doug and I and uh, some of the other guys, about eight of us, were able to go out and... and uh, Golf. Uh, it's tough. It's tough going on these retreats, and uh, and we went golfing uh, over at Eagle Crest, and it was a, it was fun. It was it was great for about the first twelve or thirteen holes, and then it became work the last little bit. And uh, I thought I was tired and feeling it then, and then I woke up this morning, and man, I'm sore. You know, I'm relatively new to this getting old thing, and. I, it's not all it's cracked up to be. You know, I, uh, I'm feeling little parts and things are crackling that have never crackled before. And uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm getting used to this. Uh, in fact, a, uh, a few months back in, in January, my, my wife talked me into going to the doctor. And not, not because there was anything wrong. She just cared about my, my well-being for some reason and, and convinced me it had been a while. And so I, I went to the doctor and, and uh, had some blood work done and poked and prodded and, and listened to in all sorts of places. And, and uh, it came back with a, a laundry list of, of items that I needed to fix, of things that were wrong with me. I, I already knew there was a lot wrong with me, but it kind of went to... to uh, Prove that there was things going on that, that I needed to start caring for. And so as a result, there was some medication and some, some uh, you know, rules of being active and things that I couldn't eat and things that I, I shouldn't do. And, ah, oh, man, it put a damper on the future, that's for sure. But, you know, this, uh, this, these, some of these struggles and these, these problems that I'm facing, and they're all manageable things, but... They're all a result of, of basically what I've fed into my body over the years. And I have, unfortunately, in, in, uh, for many, many years as a, as a single man, um, I got married relatively late into my 30s, and uh, I, I gave into this culture of, of uh, how we nourish our bodies. And being a, a busy pastor and coach, eating fast food was something that uh, was convenient, it was easy, it seemed cheap, and it tastes pretty decent. And so over the years of, of, of putting this into my body, I'm paying the price for it now, frankly. And so now it's time to be careful and, and to watch some of those things and, and to pay attention uh, if I want to live a, a long and healthy life. You know, I had a, a similar experience, kind of in a different area of my life transpire a few years back. I was, I was uh, watching, I'd watched a, a series uh, on DVD, a, a TV series called Band of Brothers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it tells the story of a, of a, a, a group of men in World War II and the, the uh, battles they faced and, and what it was like to kind of see people lose friends and, and people they were close to. And it really touched me. And, and uh, there was another series that came out a little while later. I'm not going to mention it. That's irrelevant to this discussion. But it was about a, a, a Western town. And I was raised on Western movies and Western TV shows and reading Louis L'Amour. And so this fascinated me. And so I went to the video store and I rented this series. 
and I started to watch it, and it was it was fascinating. It was uh, very uh, historical. It was it was interesting. It was engaging. But as I watched it, I started to notice that there were certain words that were said that were not necessarily words that we would utter in this room. And words that even as growing up in a logging family, we didn't use uh, or on the sports field. And I started to think, man, this just uh, this isn't right. This is there's I shouldn't be subjecting myself to this. But but it's so interesting. And, And I'm learning about history here. And so I continued watching the first full season. And one day I was driving down the road in uh, L.A. traffic. And that's enough right there to test any man's sanity. But I was driving down the road and someone cut me off. They pulled over right in front of me. And one of those words from the movie popped into my head. And I'll tell you, it wasn't just your normal four-letter word. It was one that I could have only come to my mind as a result of this movie. It wasn't one that I'd ever even imagined in the past. And right then when that word popped into my brain, I realized what I'd been feeding my mind had produced some unhealthy fruit coming out of my, my mind, my mind out of my mouth. And so I realized that my, my, my mental struggles that I was facing in this regard were a result of what I was putting into my brain. You know, I believe that if we, if what we feed our body is important to our physical health, and, and if what we feed our mind is important to our mental health, then what we feed our soul is important to our spiritual health. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a little bit more, uh, a little later in the message. But we're going to jump into Mark chapter 6, and, and we're going to see kind of this idea in Mark chapter 6. As we look at this uh, first, uh, our first I am statement, from the book of John, did I say Mark 6? Okay, that's not Mark 6. That's John 6. Sorry, that's a typo in my notes. In John chapter 6, we see the first I am. And in the book of John, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. And the first one we're going to read here in, in Mark chapter 6. It starts in verse 25. When, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I need to back up just a little bit. That threw me. <laughs> Putting that wrong verse through me. All right. Uh, in John chapter 6, it starts off with Jesus teaching. And he'd gathered quite a, a group of people to listen to him that day. There was about 5,000. Maybe you are getting the idea of what this story is, right? And after he'd been teaching for quite a while, he was becoming late in the evening, and people were hungry, but they were quite a ways away from anywhere where they could get food. And uh, so they started to look for food, and Jesus found uh, through his through his disciples, uh, a few fish and, and a few loaves of bread. And what did he do? He multiplied them, right? He he turned those few little fish and that few little pieces of bread into a great feast for the people. And he fed five thousand. In fact, to the point where there was uh, there was tons left over as well. Well, that had just taken place, and, and right after that, he removed himself, and he, he kind of wandered away, and his disciples, they couldn't find him, so they, they set out on the water on the boat to get away from the crowd, and while they were out uh, on the lake, Jesus walks out on the water. You might remember that story, and he makes his way to them, and so he gets into the boat, and they travel to the other side of the lake, away from the people. Okay, so that's where we find him. They've, the disciples and Jesus have reunited. Uh, they've escaped away from the people. And that's what we're going to pick up in John 6, verse 25. Uh, but the people, they were, they were persistent. They were looking for him. 
Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So we're going to pick up this week with this concept of I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In Greek, that phrase is probably not going to mean a lot to you, but in the phrase that Jesus utters here in Greek is ego, I me, o artos, tes zoes. And we're going to go through that just a little bit. Uh, ego, I me, o artos, tes zoes. Uh, and we're going to break this apart into three parts. The, the I am, the bread, and of life. So look, we're going to jump right into I am. What's significant about the ego, I me, I am statement that Jesus makes? Well, you might remember uh, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, uh, God is speaking to Moses. And Moses says, what am I supposed to tell the people when I go to them and say, God has told me to do these things? And, and this is what God tells him. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. The I am has sent you. Uh, this statement, I am, ego, I, me, from Greek, is a statement that God used to refer to himself in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus utters these words in the New Testament, the audience that he's around understand what he's trying to say. I am, ego, I, me. Uh, I am, I exist. Uh, I always have existed, I exist in this moment, and I always will exist. A complete existence. You know, um, some of those other statements that we're going to read from the, from the book of John, I am statements, uh, they, they start with this idea of I am, and then there's a metaphor that Jesus uses after it. So like we just read, I am, and the metaphor is the bread. I am the bread. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. Okay, so these are, these are metaphors that Jesus uses, but that first statement is the important one here. Ego, I me. And it's interesting here that, that the audience really is the one who gives us the clue of why this is important, of why this statement is what it is. Uh, this I am statement is a declaration uh, of Jesus saying, I am God. Okay, and, and it doesn't say that in our English, but what happens as a result? You know what happens later in chapter 6 and after some of these other I am statements? Do you know what the people, the reaction of the people is? You know what they do? 
they start to pick up rocks. Why are they picking up rocks? Right, to kill him. Right, because he's associating himself with God. I read a quote this week that said, it says this. It says, there are, these are clear declarations by Jesus where he exalts himself to the heavenly level. Okay, they're clear. Uh, the Jews could easily see this and they would protest. Since he did say in Greek, I am, it is more likely that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus for blasphemy. Consider Leviticus 24.16, which says, Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. So the Jews understood when he said, I am, that he was associating himself directly as God, not just being associated with God, but as God. And so what did they do? They were, they were trying to follow the Old Testament example of what you do when someone blasphemes God, which claims that they are God. That was part of blasphemy. And they picked up rocks to stone him. And that happened on several occasions throughout the, the New Testament. So this statement, when Jesus says, I am, he isn't merely saying something like, I am a beaver fan, which we know he is, or I am hungry, right? He's saying, no, I am, I am, I am God. He's asserting his godhood. He's making a claim to deity. And from the reaction of the people that heard, we know that this is true. So that I am statement is very important. He is. He is God. And as God, we know that next part uh, is Ego, I am, I am the bread. Uh, this word bread uh, comes from the Greek word artos, artos, which means uh, a basic bread. This is really interesting to me because we know that God is, that Jesus is God's son. He is the king of this world, right? He is the king of all things. He is the creator of all things. And yet when he uses the word bread in this part, he, he is referring to the poor man's food. Uh, our toast was a barley bread, not a wheat bread, not a soft, yummy, delicious bread that we open, take out of the oven, and it fills the room with great smells, and it's moist and soft, and, and we, we don't even need butter on it. He's talking about what the poor people would eat. He's the, the basic bread, the basic cracker uh, in a way. Nothing elaborate, nothing fancy, just what we need to survive. Bread is, is a basic food item. And in the Bible, the illustration of bread usually is talking about food in, in general, our sustenance. Uh, uh, it's playing on a metaphor uh, of just something that we need to consume to survive. So when Jesus says, I am the bread, he's saying that he is the sustenance of life, our source of nourishment. Bread also represents provision, God providing for our needs. Maybe you remember the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, Which of you, when their son asks for bread, gives them what? A stone. Who does that? No one does that. That's basically what he's saying, right? If, if your kid comes up to you and says, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry, who's going to say, Okay, here's a rock? Well, besides my dad. But anybody else's dad... I don't, <laughs> no, just kidding, right? Uh, or, or the next part of it says, or if someone asks, if your kid asks for a fish, who's going to give him a snake as a trick instead? Not a good father, right? And he follows it up saying, if, he, if you guys, as, as separate from God as you are, know how to provide for your own, how much more so does God, who loves us so much, know how to provide for us? 
Bread represents provision. And we see this in, in this passage. In, in verse 31, it says that God sent manna, provision, to the Israelites from heaven to sustain them as they wandered in the desert. Right? To feed them, to take care of their needs. He provided food for them when there was no food. And then in verse 33, it says that now there is a new bread being sent. So you don't need manna anymore. We have a new bread that has come from heaven. But it's not just a bread. It's a he. It's a he. It says he, this bread, he is from heaven. And in verse 35, Jesus says what? I am that bread from heaven. I am your provision. I am your sustenance. That's who I am. That's why I'm here. As God, I am providing for you. I am sustaining your life. Ego, I me, o artos. I am the bread. The last part of this is tes zoes. Okay? Again, doesn't mean a lot. Uh, zoes is life. So what does the bread of life provide? What does the bread of life sustain? Zoe. Zoe, life. Uh, you may remember a few months ago, maybe, maybe five or six now, we were going through the upper room discourse in John chapter 13 through 17, and we talked about agape love. And we, we mentioned that agape love is just one of, agape is just one of the words in the New Testament that we translate as love. There's also a phileo love, which is that brotherly, friendly love. But in English, they don't say phileo love, they just say love, right? And then there's the eros love, which is more of a, a passionate, romantic love, but it's just translated as, as love. And, and then there's agape love, a sacrificial love. And it's also translated just love. And so our English language is, is kind of, a, it leaves us short sometimes as we look at these passages and we see love written. We have to ask that question of what kind of love are they talking about? And so we have to do a little further study to see what, exactly what's being said. Well, life is a similar word like that. There are several words in the New Testament that refer or that are translated as life in English. Uh, for example, there's bios. Bios, that's a Greek word. Uh, biology, biological. Uh, the, that idea of, of physical life, that, that, that life that represents the, kind of the, on the cellular level uh, of existence life, our physical life. Uh, there's also a, another word called suke, suke, which is often translated as life. Sometimes it's translated as soul, but either soul or life. And, and this has to do with our, our kind of our mental, our um, personality life, that, that life that, that distinguishes us from somebody else. Uh, you might remember uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 7, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your cardios, your heart. With all of your suke, your soul, and with all of your uh, diania, which is our understanding, okay, all of our, our mind. Um, so zoe, though, on the other hand, is our spiritual life. That's the other word. And in this passage, this is the Greek word for life that we see, zoe, our spiritual life, our spirit, our heart. So when Jesus says he is the bread, the provision, the sustenance, uh, he is not only the creator of bios life, he's, he, we know that as creator, he created life as we know it. Uh, but not only did he create us with a personality, that suke life and mental abilities, uh, the, the, what distinguishes us from other people, but he is the source, the provider of our spiritual life, our zoe as well. 
And that's really what the point of this statement is all about. The creator, the great I am, the one who provides, the one who sustains all things, is offering us life. He's offering us life. And this life that we live isn't merely about the physical, right? That's not what we're all about. We're not all about just meeting the the physical urges that we have. Because we can see what happens in life when we focus in on just meeting physical needs. right? We can see what happens around us. Selfishness runs rampant. Satisfying our craving and natural urges takes priority over anything else. Being driven by our physical urges leads to lawlessness and and, uh, a bad lifestyle. Right? Many of the sins of the New Testament are based on our physical urges taking over and becoming priority in our life. And we can see what happens when uh, merely the, the mental or the suke part of life takes over. Intellectualism and scholarly, uh, scholasticism and advancement and progress and technology are ev- elevated above all else. Men's minds are glorified. Men's accomplishments are celebrated. Uh, and mankind loses their need for God. That's what takes place when we elevate suke above uh, zoe. And it's no wonder that God has been removed from schools. It's no wonder that science has broken away from a creator. Uh, we don't need him anymore, right? Uh, haven't you seen the amazing things that we of mankind have created with our own minds? The things we have discovered, all the things that we know now, we don't need God anymore. That's the attitude of the world when we elevate the wrong kind of life. Satisfying the needs of our physical life, our bios, is not a bad thing. We, We have needs that we have to meet to survive. Satisfying our urge for mental growth isn't bad. We need to learn. We need to understand and we need to grow as people. But when it's to the detriment of our spiritual life, then our spiritual health becomes malnourished. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this message that, that if what we feed our body, what food we actually consume has an impact on our physical health, and the things that we feed our mind impact our mental health, then what we feed our soul is important to our spiritual health. So what are you feeding your soul? What are you feeding your zoe? What is working its way deep down into your heart? Are you hungry for the bread that will not leave you unfulfilled, unsatisfied? What bread are you seeking? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. They will be satisfied. You know, in Jesus, our spiritual hunger is satisfied And our spiritual thirst is quenched when we have the Holy Spirit, when we've accepted that bread of life and we've submitted ourselves to that sustainer of life and we receive him to us. Our spiritual thirst and our spiritual hunger is satisfied. Our search for spiritual fulfillment comes to an end and we never need any other sustenance in our life, spiritually speaking. And Jesus offers you a, a promise today. He offers you the same promise that he's offered people for 2,000 years. 
And many people have taken him up on this deal over the centuries. Uh, for, the, for thousands of years, people have been listening and hearing what he is offering them and accepted it. And, and many are still wrestling, wrestling with it today. Because he says, I am the bread of life. And that's what he says, I am the bread of life. The promise associated with that statement is this, that whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will, will never thirst. So do you hunger? Do you thirst? Do you desire for your Zoe life to be filled with nourishment from the very source of life? You know, if you want to have a healthy life, not just physically, not just mentally, but all-consuming. If you want to be healthy, then eat and drink Jesus. Immerse yourself in the provider and the sustainer and the giver of life. Spend time with him. You can't, you can't consume something you're not around, right? You can't put something into you that you don't have nearby. We have to spend time in God's word. We have to pray and converse with him. We have to worship him daily. So again, I ask, do you hunger? Do you thirst? There's only one source that will fill your need. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. And I thank you, Father, for the fact that you are our sustenance. You are our provision that you are the provider of all life. And I pray, Father, that each of us here in this room will be able to, to, to tell if there's a lack in our, in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit uh, that only you can fill. I pray that we will reach out to you, the giver of life, and to take it. And you promised that you came to give life and to give it to its full. And we want to embrace that this morning. So, Father, we thank you. We give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might have noticed that we didn't do communion at the beginning. And that's, that's because uh, today's uh, sermon about the bread of life ties directly into this act of the Lord's Supper. It ties directly into uh, John chapter uh, 6, what we've just been reading. And so I'd like to continue reading just briefly a little bit more from John chapter 6 before we have communion. In 53 through 58, this is what it says. It says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And this is, this is an amazing little picture. And it was a controversial picture. And there was some rumors that were spread shortly after that these were a bunch of cannibals eating on Jesus' flesh. But that wasn't what he was saying, right? He wasn't talking about actually literally taking a chomp out of his side. Okay? He was using that as a metaphor to explain that those who were consumed with him 
and consumed him into their spiritual being, experienced life. And as we prepare for communion this morning, you might notice some common words in this passage uh, compared to what we say on a weekly basis here at the Lord's Supper. We eat the bread, which symbolizes Christ's body, and we drink the juice, which symbolizes his blood. But it's important to remember that as we participate of this act each week, it's a memorial. It's a remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. It's pointing back to this picture that Jesus expressed in in John chapter 6 when he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. See that promise? There's another promise there. That as we consume Jesus, that we have a blessing that results. That we will have eternal life and that he will raise us up on the last day. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, we, we see a passage that uses some of these same words as well. For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He is the bread of life. He is the bread in this communion that we take. And that body was broken. And we're to do this in remembrance of him. Verse 25, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, communion uh, and the eating of the bread and the drinking of the, the juice isn't what we do to earn our eternal life. Right? It's not what we do to gain something. It's not about guaranteeing our spot in heaven. It's about remembering and it's about proclaiming. So as we partake of this today, let's remember together the great I am, the bread of life, the one who brings life, the one who sustains life, and the one who nourishes our spirits. Let's proclaim together the goodness of a God who created life, who is life, and yet the one who created and is life experienced death on our behalf so that we could have life to its full, forever. His body, the bread, broken for us. His blood, the juice, shed for us. Let's remember together. Let's pray. Father, these emblems might seem insignificant on their own. They're a simple piece of bread and a little tiny cup of juice. And yet, Father, the things that they represent have eternal consequences and eternal rewards. And, Father, as we partake of these emblems this morning, may we remember remember anew the significance of the bread of life breaking his body in our place and the sustainer of life shedding the blood which uh, allows us to live so that we could have life forever with him. Father, may that never grow old. May that never lose its significance. And may we, may we always be willing to stand up and proclaim 
the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that right now as we partake of these emblems. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen.